I'm your host, Senior Airman Carla Parra. It's been an incredible time for me here at the 332nd during 2021, but we are now in January 2022. Now, this is typically around the time people redefine their goals and set forth New Year's resolutions. But in my opinion, we shouldn't wait for New Year's to tackle our new challenges, but here we are. All that really matters is that we get better and continue to show progress in whatever we set our minds to. We often talk about raising the red tail standard. And a lot of it initially falls on our leaders' shoulders as they are the ones who set the tone for their unit. Here to talk about the importance of knowing your leadership style is Operations Group Commander, Colonel Brian Stahl. Sir, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's our pleasure. So can you please share, briefly share a little bit about your Air Force career background? Sure. Um, so I, came into the Air Force back in 2000, earning a commission from the United States Air Force Academy. Um, but well before that, my desire to serve was really tied into our family. So I'm the son of a career army officer who is the son of uh, a World War II veteran who served in the Navy uh, in the Pacific. And then my mom, uh, her father actually served in World War II as well in the Atlantic. So military family, long history of military service. My sister is actually uh, currently in. She's a lieutenant colonel. We've served together in a couple of places. Really? Yep. So she's a maintenance officer. Um, we've got we've got lineage that extends all the way back to the Revolutionary War. So my mom did a lot of research uh, as far as where we have served and. Um, the, the places that we've been. So uh, to say that it's kind of in our blood would be an understatement. Yes. Um, but I've always had a desire to, to serve. As far as what I've done after commissioning uh, in 2000, um, I spent a year waiting to go to pilot training. Uh, so I was at McConnell Air Force Base as a short-range mission planner on KC-135s. Uh, and I got to go all over the world. And it was really interesting just to see how the Air Force operated for real as opposed to what they told you when you were at the academy. Uh, went to pilot training and once I graduated, uh, flew the F-16 for one assignment and then moved over to the F-22 and flew that for about 15 years interspersed with uh, different staff jobs. So I got the chance to work for General Welsh when he was the chief of staff of the Air Force. Nice. Got a chance to work for uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, writing some of his strategy. And then uh, just recently, I moved over to fly the Strike Eagle, which is how I ended up here. That's incredible. Now you're here, you know, with all your wisdom and your experience here. Um, that's awesome. So clearly, you've grown up in that leadership. You've been exposed to that because your family has been in the military. It was kind of in you. Um, from what you've seen, what would you say is the difference between managing and leading? The biggest difference between managing and leading, in my mind, is it's one word and it's investment. When you're managing people, you're just interacting with them on a daily basis and you don't really need to truly understand who they are, what motivates them, um, their backgrounds, where they come from. Uh, when you set out to lead people, mm -hmm. that's where you need to know, in my mind, you need to know uh, a little bit deeper about who they are um, so that when you go to motivate them, leadership in my mind is all about motivation. 
And if you're going to motivate, motivate somebody, then you need to know what motivates them individually. Cause none of us are the same, you know, where I grew up in the context of my life is going to be completely different than yours. And so for me to motivate you, it'd be foolish. I think to assume that my motivations are going to be the same as yours. And so if I know you, if I've spent the time to learn about you, um, to include knowing your family, knowing the things that uh, are of interest, then I can help tie that into what we're doing as far as our mission is concerned. And it becomes a lot easier, I think, at least from what I've experienced, to be able to point folks in a direction and go, that is where we're headed, and here are the reasons why it's important to you. So that's kind of the reason why I think uh, investment is the big difference between managing and leading. Yeah, that makes sense. But at your level, leading a whole bunch of people, how do you get to that point where you're knowing all of your people? Because, I mean, it's, there's a lot. So how is it that you invest on your people? So you're never, you know, in my position, when you've got uh, a couple hundred people that uh, are tasked to us, mm-hmm. you know, there's group commanders here that have a thousand people that are assigned to them. It's impossible to get to know yeah. everybody on an individual basis. But that doesn't mean that you can't be genuine in your attempt to invest with everybody you come across. So when you're walking around and you're talking to folks, it means taking the time and your most valuable resource in my mind is your time. Yes. So if your most valuable asset is your people, your most valuable resource as a leader is time. And if you spend that appropriately, genuinely, and make that person feel uh, cared for, make them feel valued, um, you're not going to get to the level of granularity of knowing their kids' names. But what you are going to do is make sure that when they are in their position, and it doesn't matter if they're, you know, at the LSA in one of the ECPs, it doesn't matter if they're out on the line, stop and talk to them for just a couple of seconds and make them feel valued. That to me is investment. So absolutely. No, I, I feel that I understand that. Um, that holds for any rank, right? Whether it be a senior airman, an A1C, to you know any officer, making them feel valued. Do you believe that rank predicates leadership? Why or why not? I absolutely don't think that rank predicates leadership. And that goes back to the conversation we were having about management versus leadership. So, you know, as commanders or as uh, SELs, we are tasked with leading. But when it comes to leadership, in my mind, anybody that has influence, anybody that has influence is leading. Now, you can lead positively or you can lead negatively. In both cases, you're leading. Right. You, know, you are influencing an individual to achieve something. Um, but the big difference is when you are leading positively, you're having an influence that gives them value, that gives them that thing to drive towards. Uh, conversely, when you're talking about negative leadership, uh, you can be very demanding. You can be very authoritative um, and tell them, I need you to do this because I said so. Well, there's not a lot of buy in there. Right. And so you can only do that so many times before there starts to be uh, a repercussion for your decisions or the way that you choose to handle folks. So rewinding back, um, you can have a leader at any rank and you can lead up solely based on the way that you choose to interact with folks. So leadership is influence and positive leadership 
is that positive influence that you're going to have on individuals. Um, and so I'd encourage anybody, you know, the, the power of positivity is a, it's a real thing. At what point would, do you say, do you feel you honed your leadership skills, your positive leadership skills? Uh, it never stops. Um, so there's an old adage that uh, strategy is only as current as the moment that it is set in stone. And then from that point on, it's becoming stale. I think leadership is the same way where if you stop trying to adjust your leadership styles, if you stop trying to work on it, it naturally is going to become stale. And the reason why that's so important for folks to understand, you know, I, I was born in 1978. When were you born? 1993. 1993. So the world that I grew up in is completely different than the world yeah. you grew up in, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was in college. Have you ever been without a cell phone? I have. Have you? Okay. <laughs> um, the point is, the world that I, the world that I grew up in, um, it's going to have different influences. It's going to have different um, characteristics, and so I ha- I can't sit back and assume that the motivations and the experiences I had growing up are going to be the same, and that my leadership style as a result of that is going to work. And so I've constantly got to go back and try to interact with and make sure I understand what the next generation, how they approach leadership and how they approach influence. Mm -hmm. Um, Because without it, you just become the old guy or gal uh, that's trying to influence somebody. But back in my day, right? Yeah, (laughs) this is how I did it. But it becomes out of touch. Um, And so I think it's important. So to answer your question, um, my leadership style never stops morphing. It never stops developing, which is why I think, you know, if you take the time to write things down, you should always go back to it and mm-hmm. you should adjust it. You should add the things that you like based on leaders that you've interacted with. Um, you can take things off based on the way you've interacted with uh, maybe some leaders that you don't agree with. Right. And you just keep adjusting it uh, throughout the entirety of your career. And really, it doesn't even have to be isolated to the military. Right. Right. So we're leading on a daily basis in our families. We're leading on a daily basis when it comes to our friends. Um, and so I try to apply the same kinds of concepts. Now, it's not militaristic when I'm at <laughs> home, but uh, I think uh, you can use the same concepts uh, wherever you're at. Yeah. So even when you get out of the military. I- I'm just really genuinely curious. When did you feel like, OK, I, you embrace that leadership role? Like you're a pilot mission, mission driven. That's your job. But now that you're different a little bit different out here your role is to dealing more with people right overseeing things when did you when was that point where like okay i you know what i'm gonna embrace that role and i'm gonna make the most out of it and start really applying it if that makes sense it does um so as a as a tactical aviator uh we don't we don't get a lot of chances until we were much longer into our career to lead from the textbook definition of leading. Right. Um, And so I'd say the first time where I was really, really starting to put a finer point on how I wanted to lead was when I was a a DO, so a director of operations at Tyndall. Mm -hmm. Um, So young lieutenant colonel um, in the operations support squadron so much different than a fighter squadron. So that my whole life had been in fighter squadrons and you're amongst your peers. Um, and so leading, leading with your peer group is way different than leading uh, subordinates. I can imagine. It's way different. Um, 
and they have their, you know, there's pros and cons to both. There's challenges uh, to both. Um, but I'll say that's the first time where I had to really start investing. And then I really had to start translating what the senior leaders above me mm-hmm. intended so that the airmen understood how they plugged into it. Okay. I so see. that was the first time that I go, okay, I need to be able to translate things in a way that whomever I interact with and whatever job they're in, they can immediately see how they, how they make the machine happen. Um, I had an, I had a saying that I've used and I continue to use it. Uh, it says airmen, air power, national security. So as leaders, mm-hmm. if you can take an airman mm-hmm. and you can tell them how they deliver air power, and it's not just pilots, for national security, you have now taken them from the very beginning to the very end. Conversely, if you're talking with, um, I, I've, I've had the chance to talk with congressmen, mm-hmm. and so the thing that's really interesting to them is national security. So if you, you can work backwards, you can go, all right, sir, all right, ma'am, Here's national security, which you're very, very concerned about. Here's how we deliver air power in order to make sure that works. But none of that happens without airmen. And so you can go both ways. It's it's a very natural spectrum. Um, it helps me in being able to, to jump into a conversation and meet somebody where they're at mm-hmm. as opposed to making them go where I am. I see. Well, that's interesting that you got the opportunity to embrace your skill at, at once you became in charge, right? Not many airmen get that position right away, right? Because I'm enlisted. So how would you say others could define their own leadership style? You have to define your leadership style based on who you are. So that means you have to have a good understanding of self and self-interest. That doesn't mean that you're going out there and challenging the system or bucking your leaders, right? You. Mm We are still the military for a reason, and there is a chain of command. But if you're going to have influence, then you need to know you need to know yourself and the things that motivate you where you're interested, because if I ask you to to plug into something that you're not interested in, Mm -hmm. how do you think that's going to turn out? Maybe not not as well. well, Right. But if you've spent the time to go, here's what I'm interested in. Here are the things that motivate me. And now you start advocating and you go, hey, boss, I'd really like to go lead in this aspect even as an airman mm-hmm. and like yeah that sounds great and so if you if you have spent the time to figure out where your motivations lie the things that you believe in which is why writing yes. them down becomes mm-hmm. so helpful it's accountability like i put it on paper so it must be true at least when i wrote it it must be true um it, it helps in setting the stage for where you're looking to go um so that's how I think you define your leadership style. It it has to begin with a very clear understanding of who you are and what motivates you. Yeah, in the document you wrote here, uh, you have uh, some bullet points of what you really value. What would you say, if you had to pick, I know they're all probably equally as important, but what mo- weighs the most, in your opinion? I put it number one up there at the beginning, and that's influence, and we've talked about that. Um, the next one is put these really almost in priority order, except for empathy. Um, motivation is absolutely critical to what you do. There will be times where you feel uh, run down. There are going to be times where you might feel 
uh, like you just want to take a break, yeah. which is okay. Like we all have those days. Um, but continuing a consistent motivation throughout your career is going to be the thing that sets you apart. You shouldn't just blend into the background. You should always be trying to approach things from um, uh, an interested and inquisitive standpoint because that's how we get airmen that are solving problems. Yeah. If you just rely on the system to come to you to try to, to fix something, it's going to take a while. We'll probably get to a solution, but if you, if you are motivated and you are seeking out the ability to solve something that you see out in front of you, and it could be as simple as cleaning up mm -hmm. you know we just did it today right. where you're walking around and you go i'm not going to walk past that piece of trash i'm going to be motivated to pick that up because it makes the environment around me for our red tail community better equally if you see something that's wrong in your job i'm going to be motivated to try to fix that mm -hmm. and i'm going to try to take a solution to my boss and whether they take it or not that that's okay and there will be times that you're told, I think that's an interesting idea, but we're gonna go a different direction. You can't let that squash your motivation, right? You've gotta always kind of rally from it and go, my motivation still exists and it's not tied to a single thing. My motivation exists to move the entire enterprise forward. It's not, it's not based on one person telling me that this idea isn't what we're gonna use. So, um, the last one that I have on there is actually empathy. And the reason that I put that, you know, we in the military don't get, we're not very comfortable talking about feelings. Mm -hmm. Feelings are uncomfortable. Um, but empathy allows you to understand that we are all dealing with something. We're all carrying a burden somehow. And in order for us to be able to interact well amongst each other, if you approach a person with an empathetic demeanor as opposed to uh, something that's accusatory, mm -hmm. uh, you have automatically like connected at that human level and you go, you may have made a mistake, but I'm going to have empathy because I, if I understand the context, if I understand the person, I know that there is something that you were carrying. Um, we still have to hold each other accountable. Right but empathy allows you to be uh, a little bit more connected to the individual, so. I like that. I, um, that's interesting, you said you put it at last, but, but it actually mentioned it third, because um, as an airman, I know that if my leadership cares about me, I care about them and back them up. So to me, that's really important. Going back a little bit to the motivation part, what would you say, I'm just kind of curious, to someone that's really extremely motivated, but you want to keep that airman motivated, but you know that that idea won't work. How do you handle that to keep them motivated? Because you want to continue that, right? You don't want to discourage any new ideas. Our motto in the Red Tails is Spitfire. Yes. And I say down there that motivation creates a fire. A fire left unchecked does what? Runs rampant. Yes. Right? But a fire that is like kept within its bounds, it could be one of the rock pits out of Black Rock. Um, when, you, when you put bounds on it, then that fire can burn efficiently. It can burn for a purpose. And so we as leaders, that come, that's the translation piece, right? Mm -hmm. As a senior leader, my job is to keep people motivated, but also translate why or why not something may not work or why it may work. So again, approaching it from an empathetic standpoint, that individual came to me, had the courage to come to me and say, hey, I think we should try this. Mm -hmm. 
and you go, that sounds like an awesome idea. Let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, and then when we unpack it, and it has to be a dialogue, you can't say, no, that's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. Or you can't say, yes, absolutely. When you have a dialogue, you may naturally find that the person goes, oh, that's not gonna work quite the way that I thought. Let's try something else and you go, now I think that might work. Um, and so when you continue to stoke the fire, you stoke the fire, you give it the heat, you give it the air, but you put the bounds on it, that's when you're, that's when you're burning efficiently as opposed to just running rampant. So we've all heard the good idea fairy. Like you don't yeah. want the good idea fairy, you just go crazy. <laughs> yeah. You burn the place down. What you do want to do is make sure that you put the bounds on it as a leader and translate so that they know how they're going to make that thing the most efficient yeah. in order to solve the problem. That's a good metaphor. Uh, give me a ni nice visual. It seems like you know yourself. You've done lots of years of just reflecting to know who you are, right? Becoming aware of yourself. What would you say if you have to kind of condense this? What is your leadership style or your leadership philosophy? So it varies. Yeah based on the situation. Um, and I think good leaders can jump between multiple leadership styles. Uh, if you go, you can Google leadership styles and it's gonna give you any of a hundred sites that you can go to yeah. and go, okay, here's the list. Um, I would say for me, I try to put it into two different buckets. When we have time based on the situation, I'm very collaborative. I like listening to ideas. I enjoy inviting people to contribute. Um, so that way there's buy-in that, you know, we all understand where the other folks are coming from. There are times when we just, we don't have the time for that. Probably a really good example of what the Red Tails did not too long ago was the, the Neo evacuation, yes. right? Yeah. Out of Afghanistan. And so in that moment we had from the time we were notified to getting our strike eagles at the time off the ground, 16 hours. Yeah. That is not a time to be collaborative, right? Right. And so you move to this, uh, you can call it authoritative. Uh, it's more of the, the visionary. Authoritative sounds uh, negative in my mind, but th the visionary aspect where you say, okay, here's where we're going mm -hmm. in order to get folks moving and then as the pressure release valves start presenting themselves, you can step back and have that collaborative conversation. And, and so my leadership style, it, it really varies. I, you know, sometimes I can be a coach. Sometimes I can be, you know, the guy out in front that's just running towards a problem. Other times I can sit back and invite all sorts of conversation and dialogue. Um, in my mind, a good leader is the one that can look at the situation. Yeah and adjust their leadership style to that, as opposed to demanding that we sit in one style and one style yeah. only. So um, that's what I value. Um, and that's what I always try to work towards. Yeah. No, and it, it makes sense in different, different situations, diff different scenarios, different people, mm -hmm. right? So I, cool. you bring up a great point that even knowing the folks that are there working with you, because there are going to be some, like if you've invested, and you have an understanding of that person, how you interact with them, mm -hmm. somebody might respond really well to a coaching leadership style. And if I wanna get the best out of you, I'm going to try to adapt myself to what I know works for you. And you know, if you, uh, if you respond more to um, 
know, a democratic approach where it's a dialogue. We're going back and forth and we're sharing ideas in order to get buy-in. I'm going to try to use that when I can in order to get buy-in. So uh, you have to understand the people and in order to get the best out of the people, try to adapt to what is going to work for them. I see. Well, yeah, that's a neat, neat way to put it. So now being here at a deployed environment, how would you say that your leadership or just generally speaking, I just leadership styles differ from back in the States? Um, I'd say on the surface, it doesn't change a lot no. because I try to look at it, whether you're in a CONUS base or in a deployed base, you know, the situation and the context is always going to change, right? Right. Uh, I think what might be a little bit different here is the fact that we've got a very real kinetic responsibility mm-hmm. to this AOR. Uh, and so the gravity of the decisions is a little bit higher. Yes. You know, when you're, when you're talking about things back at home, you know, organizing, training, equipping, everything we do stateside is really in the preparations of going forward. Mm-hmm. Here, like this is the acute culmination of all of that. Right. And so for me, uh, I would say the one part of my leadership style you would think that you're moving a lot faster here. I actually try to slow down. Really? I try to slow down because things are going to happen fast anyway. Yeah. What I don't want to do is get so caught up in the individual moments that I start speeding and making poor decisions mm-hmm. because I think the environment requires it. Like I've got enough really talented people that are going to go solve these problems. And so I try to slow down okay. so that I am taking into account the gravity right. and you know, the potential outcome yeah. of the decisions that are being made. And when I do that, I feel like it gives those airmen that are looking to me mm-hmm. a little bit more sense of comfort. Like we don't have to be frantic. We don't have to be um, just really spun up. We can be calm in the moment. Yeah, calm, cool, and collective, right? Yeah. Saying that's that's the way to see they're going to see the leader being calm, cool, and collective, and think, okay, we're we're good. And I think that's that's a good approach. Um, so maybe it does differ a little bit. Maybe just step back a little bit. See, that's interesting because I I would think it'd be the other way around because now I feel like there's more pressure. It is pressure, but at the same time, like controlled. What word of advice would you give airmen who are having their leadership abilities tested? Probably the first thing is to step back and go, is it, is it them or is it me? Hmm. Like, I'm, am I being inflexible in my own approach? And, you know, go back to, go back to empathy. Yeah. You know, is the person that I'm interacting with, are they responding to me in this moment or are they responding based on something that they're carrying? So if you're empathetic, then maybe you can go, okay, maybe it's not our interaction maybe it's maybe it's something that uh, is outside of us this just happens to be a second thought it's a symptom of that right um, probably the next thing I'd tell somebody that's having their leadership style uh, challenged mm-hmm. is have a conversation yes there is so much power in just talking through something mm-hmm. and you know in a uh, in a superior subordinate relationship, you know, if you are being challenged and it, it can be both ways, right? Right. Yes. You can be challenged by your boss and, uh, you can also be challenging somebody underneath you. Mm-hmm. Probably 
the most mature approach is recognizing when it happens. Like mm-hmm. if you feel something in the, you feel that anxiety, you're like, man, something's off. Yeah. The, the, the office is tense. Um, I, I don't know if I said something or did something that uh, either they didn't like or they didn't agree with. I think having a conversation about it and just talking through it going, hey, here's, here's kind of how I was trying to approach this. Uh, and then that person can come back and say, well, that's not how I took it. Yeah. Again, you were born in 93? Three, yes. 93, 78. Uh, I've seen a lot more things, right or wrong, but they're different. And so mm-hmm. my experiences are gonna kind of determine how I approach a problem your experiences are going to be completely different. And so we can look at the same problem and have entirely different approaches. And if we don't talk through it, if we disagree on how to how to approach it, then there's going to be that tension. Why do you think it's harder for some people to sit down and say, let's talk about it? Because it's not so easy sometimes. It's not. And the next level of, I think, social maturity, particularly when it comes to the military, is understanding when it's not the time to talk about it. So when you're looking at a problem, if we have to act now, right. sitting and talking about it's probably not gonna be the big one. Um, and so we, you know, even when we come in in basic training, I got yelled at in basic training. I was told that I could only respond to questions in seven ways and that was it. None of which was a dialogue, right? None of it. Um, and so we are, we are naturally ingrained to have that, I'm only gonna respond to things that I'm asked, I'm only gonna respond in a particular way. I think that as, as you grow up in the military, being able, to, being able to have a conversation is critically important, particularly for us. I mean, all the services are unique, but we value intelligence, we value the ability to interact with technology. We value the ability to do very specific and refined things. And that means you have to have conversations. Right. So important, the importance right, of, of, of talking, talking things out. So, sir, um, some things that I kind of the golden nuggets that I got out of today's conversation is the importance of knowing yourself, wh- where you stand, I guess, your values to determine your type of leadership, where, where you stand, your moral compass, in a, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, invest in your people and having that influence, that positive influence. Um, is there anything else that I'm kind of tracking that you feel like something important that our airmen should take from today's conversation? Yeah, back to the influence piece. I don't want, I don't want folks to think that, uh, you know, every situation requires a positive level of influence like there are some times where bad things happen and we have to handle bad things in a particular way um, that's where accountability comes in I do think that we can handle bad situations in a positive way which seems like a bit of a you know it, th- th- those two things don't seem congruous um, and that's where I think stepping back, before you act, before you decide, you have a choice in how you're gonna react to the environment. And instead of reacting off the cuff, instead of reacting in the moment, which might be anger, which might be disappointment, yeah. which might be all of those things that start going down the negative spectrum of leadership, like take a breath, step back and go, okay, this is a bad situation, there's no, if, ands, or buts about yeah. that. 
but how can I respond to the moment positively? You can still do it, but it does take a very purposeful approach. Um, so I think the biggest thing is don't, don't act off the cuff if you don't have to. Take some time, be deliberate, be purposeful. Yeah. Sir, thank you so much for all your words of wisdom uh, and your years of experience now and bringing it here to the 332nd. I know you're halfway and uh, from your rotation, so I can't wait to see what else you got in store for us. But like I said, now here at the 332nd, one of our mottos, just to kind of change pace and tone a little bit, uh, one of our mottos here is Spitfire. And we have a segment called Rapid Fire. Okay. <laughs> so this is how it works. I'll throw out a word with no context. Whatever the first word comes into mind for you, you're just gonna say it. Okay. <laughs> All right, sir. You're about to be in the hot seat. Are you ready? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Red tails. Mustangs. Empower. Leadership. Hobby. Cool. Managing. Leading. Leadership. Leading. Micromanaging. Bad. Superpower. Uh, America. Trust. Courage. Motivation. Empathy. Empathy. Motivation. <laughs> Amusing. Uh, this conversation. <laughs> Honesty. So, so important. Family. The motivation. Transparency. That's trust. Priority. Red tails. Mustache. Air power. <laughs> I love that. Sir, once again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your knowledge and experience. And thank you listeners for tuning in. It's been a pleasure being your host. With the 332nd Air Expeditionary Wing, I'm your host, Senior Airman Carla Parra. Peace out, Red Tails. Mm -hmm.